Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello, and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is Jen Taylor. Today, I'm with Carla Romo. How are you today? I'm awesome. How are you? <laughs> awesome. Your website is IamCarlaRomo.com. And that'll sure. be in the show notes, but pretty easy to find. So tell us who you are and what you do. I'm a dating and relationship coach, author of Contagious Love, Break Free from Codependency for Damn Good, and a speaker where I do different workshops. So essentially, I help women, whether they feel stuck or stagnant, I help them build purpose and confidence in their dating life, relationships, and breakups. So I am essentially a love life cheerleader. I meet you wherever you're at in your love life. I help you find that purpose and ultimately... As I always say, it's the secret to healthy relationships and success in dating is really focusing and working on that relationship with yourself. Oh, I so thought it was sex. What, I'm totally like, bummed. Well, now. I mean, I was like, yes, sex is important too. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love sex? But ultimately, it's about found, like form, forming that relationship with you. You do a lot of self love through as your foundation. So talk about that a little bit. Well, the most important relationship you have is with yourself. I mean, it's just the truth. And ultimately, you set the tone for all the other relationships that you have in your life based off of the relationship that you have with yourself. So whatever you're doing to show up for yourself, whether that's self-care, boundaries, hitting goals, uh, self-respect, self-talk, all of those things starts with you. So if you notice that your relationship is feeling off, or you're feeling like you're getting nowhere in dating, I look at those as symptoms. Those are just the surface. What's really down below is, well, okay, what do you need and want? What are you not fulfilling within? So it's always taking a step back and really doing that work within, holding up that mirror, figuring out what it is you need to do, and then being able then to apply that outward with the relationships that you have. I love that. And I love that there are so many different things. I think self-care, first of all, is something that's super important, but it's also talked about so much that it's starting to become one of those buzzwords. I'm so glad you just said that. I can't, I actually have, I'm like, should this be another book? I'm like, we could go into a whole how it's becoming this designer thing. And it's really just getting eight to 10 hours of sleep, um, making sure that you're like, you know, relaxed and like, okay, like living a functional life. Like it's not this like facials, massage, like all of that kind of stuff. It makes it seem so hard to achieve. And so like we're doing something that we should apologize for. And also it's not attainable. I can't do a spa every week. I can't, I don't do a spa (laughs) once a year. I got a pedicure like over two years ago. It was a gift certificate. It doesn't mean that I don't want to do those things or I don't like them or think they're important, but like in the time affordability spectrum, it is not on my list right now. So then you have all the self-help gurus talking about how much I'm, you know, failing and I should feel shame because I'm not Mm -hmm. taking care of myself enough and it's such a crock of shit. But having said that, self-care is super important and It's too bad it's got a bad rap now because it is like sleeping, eating, exercising, getting outside. How about vitamin D? Like Like all of these things that are just going to your doctor's appointments and also finances, making sure your finances are on like, you know, par or whatever, because it's like you could live life and just live and spend and do whatever, but you're not taking care of yourself if your finances aren't straight. Like it can go into so many different avenues of your life that causes you stress. I mean, being in healthy relationships is also self-care and people look at self-care as this like luxury. And I actually look at it as, um, it's become a privilege. Um, and I think that the way a lot it's marketed is more of like a privilege kind of thing. Um, And I'm just going to say it's like a white privilege. Like I look at a lot of that stuff as being um, like in a culture in that sense of like white culture privilege. It's so stupid. It's terrible. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like I look at, um, you know, getting a massage and those things as self-care. It is not not self-care, but when you're just marketing in this way of like, 
you know, self-care, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm getting my massage, my pedicure, whatever. It's like, okay, cool, but what are you really doing? Like, are you, did you get eight, eight hours of sleep last night? Like, those are the real questions of self-care. I agree, and I'm glad you actually brought up finances too, which is probably not something that most people think even is in the realm of self-care, but God, when you're so stressed about money, um, I was searching this morning like free audio editing because I don't want to pay $20 a month for something if I can not pay, you know right. what I mean? And that's not about how much money you have. It's just being smart with your money. Yes. Um, and so I'm glad that you brought that up because with self-care, that's so, so huge. And my kids that are like newly moved out will totally relate to that. <laughs> like that's the biggest stress <laughs> in their life, right? College yeah. students. Yeah. So you, you kind of cover the gamut in self-love with all of these different things and how that is affecting your relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go into this more and I kind of want to wait, but I'm going to ask one question. Is there a like number one biggest issue that women come to you with? Yeah. It's the lack of self-worth. That's it. Not feeling enough, not feeling strong enough. Like it just to sum it all up, they don't feel enough. And I'd say that is the root problem. They don't know that that's what they're coming for me or coming to me for. Like I said, the symptoms they come to me for, I keep dating and I get nowhere. I hate dating apps. I'm like over it. Um, my partner and I just keep arguing and going in the same circle. You know, those are the symptoms to what's really going on. Got it. That actually makes a lot of sense because we're a more symptomatic society. And I think that's the part that's easy to recognize. And God forbid we should ever like take a look at ourselves and what, what's wrong with me in this situation? What am I not? And you know, I did this exercise with a coach a long time ago and I was shocked, literally shocked. And I've done a lot of self-love stuff, but Mm -hmm. shame was my word. And I was like, shame, what, what do I like? It hit me so hard, like a two by four, but it was that like, well, I can't be with my kids and do as much as I want. And I don't have the finances to give them the life exactly like I had hoped for. And at work, my boss always wants more. My kids always want more. And I just felt shame that I felt like I could, I could never do as much in any area of my life as everyone else wanted to. And that I would have liked to. And so I think sometimes even when you're doing the work, do you find that it's really difficult for women to tap into that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a process. It's not something that we're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> like We're going right into the worth. <laughs> um, but it's these affirmations, and I've referred to them before as bullshit affirmations we tell ourselves. And it's very, especially with you, it's like you're talking about the shame. Like Shame creates isolation, yeah. and, and all these feelings do. And not feeling like you're worthy, not feeling like you're enough, you're strong enough, all of these things is what I call the bullshit affirmations. And it's not until you deal with the bullshit that you can start to feel good. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, let's take you back. Take us back to the time when the struggles began. Yeah, so I actually kind of just say that it was just kind of chaotic since I was born. (laughs) It kind of was my norm. Um, And I, I grew up with domestic violence. So my father was abusive, and I'm the youngest of three. And he was abusive. And so it really just set the tone for me to not feel worthy, not feel like I was enough. Um, my parents did divorce and he left, but as abusers do, they come in and out. They try to. My mom is a very strong person. And once he left, that was it. It was done. But ultimately that is what people experience. And I always like to talk about that because it's so common and it's a symptom of an abuser to do that. And the most dangerous time for a woman to leave an abusive relationship is after she's left. So like, that's like literally like the pinnacle of danger essentially. Um, so I actually experienced a lot of that when I was little and that really just set the tone for me to be in codependent relationships since I was a very, very little girl. And it's something I talk about in my book, contagious love where I just was in one codependent relationship after the other since elementary school. Um, And I talk about how my fifth grade boyfriend at the time, um, you know, he ended up kissing this other girl and, you know, it was this whole thing, right? In like fifth grade, my heart was broken, but he ended up dying of a drug overdose at 24. 
So naturally I was attracted to people, even since I was very little, who had certain characteristics with them about addiction or mental health or whatever it was. And so that pretty much was my pattern all the way up until my early twenties. And I found myself in an abusive relationship at 24 and I just saw two paths in front of me and I was like, I can't continue doing this. So it's either step into the life of self-worth and self-love and create that relationship with myself or it's continue self-sabotage choosing to be in codependent relationships because it is a choice and it is a choice to be in an abusive relationship. It's not a choice of like what the person does to you. But once you have that awareness, you're choosing and actively, you know, recognizing that this person is treating you a certain way. So you can either stay or you can leave. Um, but I always want to empower people to know that there's a choice behind that. You're not stuck. And so once I left that relationship, I just begun the relationship with myself. And so that looks like filling myself up with self-love, really recognizing what self-care was, implementing that into my life. And then once I built the relationship with myself, then I was able to learn how to date in a healthy way. So what it was like that, you know, to have a healthy argument, um, to have healthy communication, to find somebody who's healthy, who isn't going through addiction or mental health problems that aren't taking care of it. You know, all of those things I learned, what red flags were, how to communicate, like all of this. And essentially... It's what led me to today, what I'm helping women do. Take me back because you said you were the youngest of three. And I know um, I read your information where you said you would hide under the bed yeah. from your dad. Yeah. So can you dig, can you t- discuss more the situation when you were younger? Because that's like, that's extreme. And I ha- there's a reason for this. I want to know how extreme it was and what it was like for your other siblings and what your relationship was with them or and is still with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think everybody experiences trauma differently. Some things can be traumatic for one person and not for somebody else. So I'm really just speaking for myself with this, but you know, he would come to the door, ring the doorbell, double doorbell, which actually I ended up going to therapy and dealing with with PTSD around doorbells because it would cause such terror with a double doorbell. Uh, and then literally I would just like run as fast as I could and hid under the bed. Um, because you know, he was saying threats as well to my mother about kidnapping us and taking us away or that he was going to get custody and, you know, all of the typical things that an abuser does. Um, I'm very fortunate that I am very close with my sisters and my mom. And today I still am like, we've always been very close. It's just the way our family has been. Um, and, and we've evolved Like we've each grown and changed in our own way. And with that growth and with that change, we've still consisted of being a very close knit family. Wow. That's phenomenal. Actually. I I totally get it. I mean, you and I could be in the exact same seminar for an hour and at the lunch break, sit down with each other and get completely different things out of that. So imagine your whole childhood growing up where you're not even coming from it from an adult perspective. So yeah, that's even worse, but I'm, it's great that you guys were close knit and holy cow about the doorbell. Right. I mean, well, I think, you know, I, like, I, I think it's important to state those things too, because, you know, I didn't know that that was PTSD. Like I didn't know when the doorbell rang, I'd get this like <gasps> feeling through my bones. Like, oh my gosh, like literally like my entire life, the doorbell has always bothered me. And, you know, of course, different times it would come up and be triggered, but you know, more heightened and whatnot. It wasn't every single time, but especially if the doorbell was rung a certain way, it just, it would just take me right back. And so I think that sharing that is just important because PTSD is actually caused in children a lot of times with domestic violence. And it's something that isn't really recognized or people are even aware. And the other thing too, is that I thought that this was my normal. I thought that this was normal and I didn't know anything else. So once I was able to get the help for and to recognize this is not normal at all, and you know, I could see where all these issues had come from later on in life, I was able to heal. That's another thing that I want to make a really big point of saying is that as a kid, you don't know any different. No. I remember as a kid thinking it shouldn't be this way, but I didn't know why or what about things was off or how it should be. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And so I, I knew without question that things were not okay. Yep. You do. You know. You just don't know how to. You don't have any comparison. I even had a best friend who was upper middle class, parents married, their own dysfunctional situation, but not in an abusive way. Um, And I would go to her house and I felt like that wasn't totally right either. Mm -hmm. But there was always food and you never had to be scared. Yeah. So it was like better, but still, is this right? And I know that when you grow up with that and you don't know, you're constantly searching and not realizing that you have patterns, like in fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I, I mean, if that's not like setting the tone for what's really going on at such a young age, like, I don't know what is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Even if you don't want it, you're still attracted to it because there's, it's, it's comfortable. Yeah. And there's something safe about it being comfortable. Like you hate it, but you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Do you, would you agree? I completely agree. Yes. And um, you don't want it and you're pissed about it, but you don't know how to do anything different. And then, then the self-worth. So let's talk a little bit more about that too, because you don't say it out loud. You don't even know to, but you don't feel like you deserve any better. Well, what's funny about that is I would have looked at you and been like, what are you talking about? Of course I love myself. I was like, what? I do love myself because I didn't understand what that meant. And I didn't understand what that relationship was within. So when it came to self-worth, I was just like, yeah, of course I love myself. But my actions, now that was totally different. That really spelled out what I was, how I was really feeling about myself on the inside by the partners that I was choosing. And so as a result, yeah, I, I didn't have any self-worth. And it wasn't really until I started digging deep about like what was really going on with me and why these patterns were happening and why I was choosing certain people. And, and then the fears around like picking somebody who's normal, right? And I, and I <laughs> talk about this in the book too, but it's like, I felt like I was so fucked up that I needed somebody fucked up who would understand my fucked upness. Because I was too fucked up. I completely, well, I do think we all come, even if it's your first relationship and you're in college and you've never dated before, right? And your parents love each other and we're great. We all have some amount of baggage or we all have to figure things out. Yeah. What we want, what we like. It's like, you can't, you don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life in college. Like pick a major and take all these classes and you'll be happy forever. And it doesn't work that way. You don't have enough life experience. And so even when you're coming from someplace good, um, it doesn't mean that you have a lack of baggage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always think everybody, no matter what, you know, needs to work out their childhood shit, whether it was traumatic or not, right? There's different degrees and varying levels, but I think that we all have things that we can look inward at and heal from. Absolutely. So when you're coming from a situation where you know you're fucked up, Mm -hmm. doesn't it make sense that it would be somebody that would understand that? Yeah. I mean, that really, that theory really makes sense. And it's a way, it's called trauma bonding. It's a way to bond with them. Like, oh my gosh, somebody gets it. Oh my God, I feel like I can just confine in this person. Like, you know, they're just, they just understand me so quickly and they shared that they were fucked up too. So it's this instant trust, which that is not trust. (laughs) It can be manipulation. And, you know, it's all of a sudden you're in this world. It's this world that's created. And I'm particularly talking about my relationship with, this person wasn't diagnosed as a narcissist, but... Um, they had qualities and tendencies that were very much narcissistic. And that is also where a lot of codependents are, you know, attracted to. Uh, but yeah, it's just this idea that this person gets you and that you are understood for the first time and all your insecurities are going to be taken care of because really all I wanted was somebody to love me because I couldn't do that myself. Well, it feels good. And I like having somebody that loves me. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that feels, yeah, it feels amazing to be loved by somebody. And narcissism is very sexy. Mm, yeah. Cause it's charming. It is charming. And it's, it's like, you, and then it's dangerous. Yeah, I know. 
I agreed. And I'm, do you have any idea how does somebody even get diagnosed and what narcissist would want to? Well, that's actually the like joke of it all. So apparently group therapy, and I'm not a therapist, but I've like read about narcissism and things like that and was looking into it for my book research and everything. But apparently uh, group therapy is the best for curing it. And it's not necessarily a cure, but people can get better. But they actually say that narcissists should do group therapy. And it is very difficult for a narcissist to get diagnosed because they have to accept it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like the that's, joke of it all, right? that's not what, yeah. I mean, I'm like, that seems like a vicious cycle in and of itself, but I know it's possible to be diagnosed and to get help for it. And I'm like, okay, maybe see, some people who are total and complete assholes don't want to be, you know, you could, you could be torn between having a tendency and really not wanting to hurt people. Yes. And I, I don't understand that, but I, okay. I want to talk about trying to fix other people. Oh, good luck. Okay. Go <laughs> no, I didn't say that it was possible, but <laughs> your journey with that, not, not yeah. no, it's not possible. Yeah. Not. So fixing people. Yeah. I mean, God, it was like the mission, like really of like relationships. Of course it wasn't my only mission and goal. I liked this person or the guy that I was dating or whatever, my boyfriend at the time. Like, you know, all of those things, like, I, you know, I like to be with them, but I saw potential in them. And <laughs> I saw this potential of how they weren't taking care of themselves. And I was just like, gosh, if only they were able to do this and this and this, they will just thrive. And then this is the lack of the acceptance in a codependent relationship. We will be happy together. Oh, so, that's great. Right? Because it's like, you know, a healthy relationship is accepting your partner where they're at and like letting them do what they need to do or deciding, you know what? I don't want to be with somebody who does this. I don't want to be with somebody who, you know, isn't interested in doing the work or isn't interested in getting help. So instead of like a healthy mind of saying, you know what? I don't like the mature thing and healthy way of thinking is, you know, this isn't working out. It's okay to end it, whatever the codependent thinking is, all right, I'm going to do everything I can to fix this person. And I know what's best. So it's this like idea that you have this control or this power over this person to help them so that you're okay. And that the relationship will be okay. Instead of just accepting that they are not the person that you want them to be. And they're not going to be that period. And so you lose a part of yourself because you're so busy and so focused on fixing somebody else and making sure that they're okay and, you know, are doing the things to help themselves to get by or whatever that may be. I mean, to the point where, I mean, I've, I've seen clients do this. It's like, you know, researching like therapists for them or researching like treatment centers, right? Like all of this stuff where it's like if somebody's an addict or somebody has mental health problems, they've got to do it themselves. I'm glad you touched on two things right there, addiction and mental health. So I was raised by addicts. Yeah. And man, I know a lot about, and I'm not one. I'm a yep. normie. Mm-hmm. People who are addicts know that terminology. Yep. And I'm, I'm very attracted, or in my past, I was very attracted to addicts because they were safe and comfortable. But also, people that get past their addictions... It's so powerful. I'm so proud of them. It's so exceptional. Yes. That doesn't mean that you've let go of your addictive patterns or behaviors. It does not at all. It's not a cure. I mean, you know, there's 12-step programs like AA, right? It's like the OG of 12-step programs. And that's why you don't graduate from a 12-step program because you or if you have an addiction, you have a disease, it's never going away. And even if you are sober and you're working a 12 step program, you still have those characteristics and those tendencies. So to think that you can be fixed or that, you know, there's an end goal or destination, either side, whether you're the addict or the codependent is just not realistic. No. And it's interesting because I, I, I know from having had a serious relationship with somebody who had like 17 years clean time. Isn't that great? It's phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah, awesome. yeah. But decided that he really liked the addictive personality behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so we, we still talk every once in a while. I'm like, Oh, how's dating going out? And he's like, it's not, I'm an asshole. 
<laughs> like, I can't confirm nor deny that. Actually, I can't confirm. No, I can't confirm nor deny. It. You know, it's just, it's interesting though, because um, I learned from that, like only 6% of the population are really addicts. And the, the trials, it, what you go through to maintain staying clean and sober mm-hmm. and on top of that, and that's not a mental health issue and not all addicts are assholes. No, not but, um, I saw in that, like, that was my dad, Mm -hmm. the addict who's in denial, the addict who blames it on something else or takes it out somewhere else or stops one thing, but it still translates to another, you know, that sort of thing. And then you also brought up mental health, which is something I think people, well, I'm going to make a statement and then I'm going to contradict it. People don't have control over it. Right. Having it. They do have control over doing something about it. And that one is really, really tough. Yeah, it's very difficult. Do you have any experience you want to share with us on that one? Yeah, I actually talk about that in my book as well. I was dating somebody who was literally going to commit suicide. And it was a very brief stint we dated. Like, you know, we did a little trauma bonding, so we felt really close immediately. Um, We literally maybe were only seeing each other for two to three months. I mean, this isn't like, you know, we weren't together for a very long time or anything, but he was really sweet and he was so smart and so nice and he was very ill mentally. And ultimately, I actually was like, hey, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be in a relationship where you're talking about like, suicide. That's pretty serious. I was like, Ooh, okay. Put the brakes on right there. And I actually walked away from that relationship and then entered into, as I say, the, the abusive relationship that, you know, everything halted at 24 where I was like, Holy shit, what's going on in my life. But you know, I, I look at that moment as pivotal of being able to walk away from that type of codependent relationship at the time. Because I actually believe that anybody who is in codependency knows deep inside if it's right or not. Like, you know if it's right. And I think in that case, I was able to act on it. And I think that that was really important for me because then I knew I could walk away from the relationship, the next relationship that I had been in. And so, but back to, I mean, back to mental health. I mean, it's a beast. Like, it's a beast. You can't fix anyone. And ultimately, what my choice was in it was I can't. I can't handle this right now. He's a, he was a very nice person, but I just can't. I can't be with somebody who is going to kill themselves. That just wasn't where I was at that moment. And that's even more difficult because leaving, you know, someone who's suicidal, um, leaving them, that is the trigger, which it's it's not the trigger. If you've done any sort of suicide awareness exactly. and yeah. help, it's not. But right. God, it sure feel does feel shitty. It does. Absolutely. It feels shitty. And there was something, like I said, it was like pivotal though in that moment for me, because whatever it gave me, gave, like, I feel like, it, like I look at healing and I look at growth and, you know, self-love and self-worth as like a journey and a process. So there's no destination to it. And so I look at that glimpse. I had, you know, just started really going to therapy at that moment and working out stuff with myself. And so I had this like glimpse of, okay, maybe this isn't healthy. I could recognize I had a choice. It was like the first time I was actually able to implement an act of self-worth and self-care and self-love with myself with that. And ultimately it brought me to that other relationship. And I look at everything. I'm a very spiritual person. And I talk about this in my book too. It's like my higher power brought me to each of these relationships for a reason. And being able to recognize, okay, I can't do the mental health thing. I think it was just a stepping stone to growth, even though I was in this like relationship, much another relationship, much longer, that was abusive. But without that moment of being able to know I had strength, I think that just carried on and gave me more steps into doing that in the abusive relationship. Let's start with your fifth grade relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first one outside of your dad and your family, correct? Or it had to be close to? Well, I had um, boyfriends all through elementary school, but that was the first, like, big, big one um, where it was like, you know, he was like my boyfriend and then cheated on me and kissed the girl in the class. I mean, but that was kind of my pattern. I would find men that cheated on me. So it was, it was just a perfect reflection of, like, what I was into, the type of people I was picking at the time, and how that played out later on in my life. 
going through that over time, one thing is like you've talked about, not feeling worthy, self-worth, and part of it is fixing it. And part of it is not understanding how it can be different. Mm -hmm. What else? Is there anything else in there? A lack of acceptance, like just the lack of not accepting what is. And having this idea, it's like future tripping or trying to fix the past in the present, you know, not being present and accepting of what is reality. I love the fixing the past in the present. That's interesting. I, I had someone that made such a difference to me when I was a kid. I knew I could make a difference to people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I did foster care and I had a guy who, he was kind of like a, I'll call him a hippie pastor, <laughs> really super down to earth guy. And he's like, you know, the years of foster care is how you healed your, your childhood, your past. So I know that like we all want to heal. And a lot of us, if we've had a positive influence, we want to do that same for someone else. Cause it made us feel so much better. That's how all of our businesses are born. Yes. We want to make the struggle faster, easier, better, more supported. Mm-hmm. And so I, at first I was kind of irritated about that statement and then it kind of felt great. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, you know, there's lots of different ways of therapy mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with making someone else's path a little bit better mm-hmm. because ours was so shitty. Yes. But that was a, that's a hard one for me. So I think that the healing, let's talk about the healing part of it. Can we jump yeah, into that? Absolutely. Tell me about the relationship when you were 24. I want to like the shit show, the absolute worst <laughs> and terrible. <laughs> the horrific, horrificness of it all. Yeah. You went from a sui- someone who's suicidal and walked away, which that's amazing. Takes a lot of strength. It's hard. That's a hard one to do because the blame if they do, you know? So you went from that into something else. So jump in there. Interesting is that this person had swooped in literally like a day or two after I had ended things. So I was really vulnerable. And I had dated this person previously for a couple months. And I actually, we mutually like, well, I brought up, let's end it. And so that's actually a key point of why I'm saying that right now, because I had said, Hey, let's end it. This isn't right. It was weird stuff that didn't feel right with his ex that he kept bringing up or, you know, um, I just had weird feelings. It was like my gut just kept like yelling at me and saying like, Carla, this is weird. This isn't right. Like, this is really strange. Like all of that kind of stuff. So I kept having this back and forth and then I was like, no, I'm done. So I ended it, went into the relationship, brief relationship with, the person that was suicidal and then entered again into this other relationship. And what's interesting is I was really hesitant. He wanted to hang out and I thought, well, okay. There was always this draw to him. There was always just this pool and I couldn't stop thinking about him. So I thought, okay, fine. We'll, we'll hang out. But I was like, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to hang out with him. And then that night he told me everything I needed to hear. It was as if he read my mind And he said, hey, I want to let you know there was nothing going on with my ex and I when we were dating that time. And I thought, oh, my God, he just, I'm I'm crazy. I'm the crazy one. I thought that there was something going on with him and his ex. It just, my gut kept pulling me in weird directions. There was, like, photos of them hanging out on Instagram, but then he'd deny it or say something. Oh, there was a bunch of people there. Like, all this stuff. And I was like, wow, I'm crazy. Like, I, I was crazy. And that is a red flag right there to think that you're the crazy one in the relationship. So immediately I just allowed, I thought, oh my gosh, wow, I made this person out to be this horrible person. And they're not, they're not at all. And so we started dating and immediately things fell off. It didn't feel right. And there was tons of red flags, but I just kept going. And he always had a really good reason to why he'd show up super late to something or why he needed to reschedule. And he'd just pop up and, you know, do a quick, like little, like surprise appearance that I was like, Oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. Like all these little things that just didn't feel right. But then he would be able to talk his way into it or just show up to show that, you know, he appreciates me out of nowhere. These little things that felt charming. And so I just kept thinking I was crazy or I, oh God, it's so in my head. This is so bizarre. And so I started doubting my own trust. And so then naturally I just separated myself from thinking that I was, you know, to be trusted, all this stuff like within me and that I should just really trust this person. And as he tell me, like he knows best. 
and that like we were special and all these things that I, you know, a narcissist is really good at manipulating and saying it now you're like, shit, that's crazy. But it was all these little things just over time that built up into this relationship. And I caught him in a lie and he went nuts one night, like literally nuts. And he shoved me and like swatted his arm at me. And, and I, I remember like, I, I mentally blacked out. Cause I just was like, this is like this, you know, this is crazy. I could like, you know, mentally, I just like wasn't there anymore until I remember like realizing, okay, what just happened? Like, this is nuts. We're sitting there. And I was like, gosh, you, you hit me. And he's like, no, I never hit you. I was like, well, you like swatted at me. And he's like, no, I never swatted at you. And I was like, well, you did. Yeah. But you like, at least like pretend to shove me. And he's like, no. And you were asking to be hit. And so right there, that is a perfect example of an abuser who does something and then gaslights the person, which gaslighting is a manipulation, a psychological form of making somebody believe that the reality isn't reality and that they manipulated into thinking that you're the crazy one and you're making stuff up. And that's actually a very typical thing that you can hear from abusers. And so at that moment, I, I, I actually, I, I broke up with him that night, but naturally he was able to manipulate and get us back together. I think the stat is, and I, I really need to look this up, but I think it's about six times um, a victim tries to leave the abuser before they actually do. And, and I, and I'm just saying six, cause I believe that's the number, but I don't want to confirm that because like I said, I don't want to like throw out information. That's not right. So do your research on that one. Um, but yeah, so I just think that ultimately, you know, that was what I was trapped in. And, and you would think, well, why wouldn't she leave? Right. That's everyone's thought. Why wouldn't she leave? Like why? But the thing is that you're so in this trap and you're so manipulated that you just totally believe that this person is telling you like, the truth and that you're not sane. And so I actually booked a trip to Ireland and I did not invite him. Uh, I actually booked it knowing that he probably wouldn't come and sort of said it in a way I was, you know, like, well, I'm going to Ireland and I want to do this trip, but I know you said you're like trying to save money and stuff. So I'm just going to go. And he was like, okay. And it was the solo trip. And it was that trip that changed my entire life because I was on that trip. I just needed to get out of the country And it was my first solo trip and I was just standing in the Wicklow forest of Ireland. And I just had this moment with myself where I was like, you're going to be okay no matter what happens. And that's where I saw like these, like, it was just clear. It was like, you can continue being in a relationship like this and self-sabotage, or you can step into self-love and like truly build that relationship within. So I literally got back. I confirmed that he had cheated and I ended things. I want to go back because when there are people from the outside looking in saying, oh my God, did you, you know, when you say the things that he said or that he did, you know, are you, like, how could you not get it? It is, first of all, it's insidious. It's not a light switch. No. And it's not all the time. Like there's all of these epically beautiful moments in between the shit storm. And so it's like this evil thing that just kind of weaves its way in. And um, you don't realize it because it's, it's so insidious. And yeah, when you, when you say that statement, when you tell me things that he said, I'm like, my God, what was wrong with you? Like, Uh hello, you didn't realize it, but you don't understand it's sandwiched. I mean, other people don't understand sandwiched in between all of these beautiful things and sweet moments. And you feel like this person one, like read your mind, like gets you like no one else ever get gets you. Yes. And the other thing too about that is anybody, even the person who's like, Oh my God, how didn't you see that is susceptible to manipulation. So like you can't, it's not something that you're, necessarily consciously able to overcome. So when you build a relationship with a narcissist or an abuser or somebody who's manipulating, you naturally are in this cycle with them. So it's not something you can be the strongest person in the world, but ultimately it comes down to an actual psychological factor. Talk to me about why you chose Ireland. How, because in this situation, there's this assumption like, you're weak because you're putting up with this, right? Which I know is not true. 
<laughs> but I'm making this, I'm asking this question coming from that place where this person is running your life. So where did you get the balls to take a trip at all and make sure that you set it up in a way he wasn't coming and you were clued because you were clued in enough that you wanted to get out. So mm-hmm. go through that with me. Cause that's actually really tough. Yeah. I, it's so funny that you talk about that. Like you're like wondering what that process was because I honestly feel like it was like spiritual. The whole setting that entire process up was because I wasn't really at a place. I just felt stuck and I needed to get the fuck out. And so where did I want to go to Ireland? And if anybody knows me, I'm to be completely honest, I'm a pretty strong person. Like I'm very independent. Like I get shit done. You know, that I've always been that personality, right? And so I very much, even in that relationship, felt that way. It was just the relationship that was just awful and not healthy. And so ultimately, I still had that personality of like, all right, I'm going to go do something for me. Like, I want to go to Ireland. I want to go travel. I fucking love traveling. Like, I have been over to 20 countries and some of them multiple times I've gone to. Like, I am such a go. I'm a world traveler. Like, I love doing it. And so I just was like, you know what? I need to get out. Like, I just need to get out. And so my sister lives in England and I thought, well, I could go visit her for a little bit and then I could go hop over to Ireland by myself and have like a nice little trip. And that's what I did. And that's what worked out. And that's the thing I wanted to point out that you can be a total badass in all these areas of your life (laughs) and just not in the area of relationships. A lot of my clients, to be completely honest, I've worked with CEOs of like Fortune 500 companies. I've worked with some of the top doctors in the world, like literally have coached these women and they struggle when it comes to relationships. So it's, it's really one of those things. And a lot of times people don't even know that they're struggling because they just see them like, oh my gosh, this person is just so amazing. And when you're struggling like that, you feel shame. And like I said before, with you feeling shame, it's like you want to isolate. Like it's what isolates us. It's what makes us feel lonely. And so having this isolation and this feelings you know, of loneliness can really just pull you away from working on it or talking to other people about what's really going on with you. Well, yeah, you don't want to admit that you're totally screwing up one area of your life. <laughs> Fucking up. Like, uh, yep. Yeah, especially I'm a world-renowned doctor, but I can't have a date to save my life. Like, really? Yep, literally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, bring us back to Ireland. So, lots of us have had these, and I love the word spiritual because it can mean anything. Yep anything, but basically we have a bitch slap or a two by four to the head or some moment where we're like, Oh my God, how did I not see that? A come to Jesus moment. Yes. So take me to your come to Jesus. That was, I mean, that was in Ireland. Like literally I, I was, I talk about this in the book as well, that I was sitting there in my hotel room and I just got into Ireland and I wasn't hearing from you know, my boyfriend at the time, like I wasn't like, I was reaching out. He wasn't getting back to me. I was like, what the fuck? And then I see on Instagram that he had liked this girl photo that was like a wet t-shirt photo. And I was like, ew, this is weird. And then I thought, you know what? Fuck this. I was like, I'm here for myself. I'm going to go out and explore the fucking city and I'm going to do it up. And so I did like that trip was like 110% being being like, fuck this. I'm in it for me. I'm doing what I want to do. Like it was amazing. And it was sitting there. Well, okay. I missed this bus, this tour bus. I was supposed to take a tour bus through the Wicklow forest. And the woman that signed me up for the tour had actually wrote down the wrong time. So I missed the bus. And I was pissed. I was like, fucking A. I was like, I only have like how much time in Ireland? Like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, this is one of the things I want to do. What the hell? And then I thought, you know what? There's a local bus. I'll take the local bus. So I took the local bus. Thank God. God shot right there that I took the local bus. So I call God shots little like spiritual moments that come together. Love it. And I was like, thank God I took this bus because when I got off the bus, it was just like me and I was walking around. I was like talking out loud and, you know, saying my thoughts out loud. Nobody was around. So it's not like this crazy American girl was like, you know, talking and bapping off. And I was walking and it was just beautiful and it was green and it was lush. And I felt so connected with a spiritual source. And I was not a spiritual person really before. I'd always felt a presence of it, but I never relied on it because I was too afraid to let go of that control. And 
it was in that moment, I just felt so much like synergy with spirituality and my higher power and like what I was doing in life. And the most important thing that I heard was you're going to be okay, no matter what. And that was it. That's all I needed to hear. And so it was in that moment that I just was like, yeah, I can't, I can't like keep doing this in this relationship. But not just that relationship. Now, how did that open up the (laughs) Pandora's box in other ways? Like, I get that. That's awesome that you were like, I'm out of this relationship. It's toxic. I get that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't necessarily like you said, like just that relationship. It was making this choice. Like I had come to a place where it was like surrender almost of like, you can just keep doing this. Like, you know, like I said earlier, you can keep doing this self-sabotage and be in these relationships or you can start the relationship with yourself. And that means like really changing these patterns and you know, what you're attracted to and all of those things. And that's ultimately what I went with. Getting back, what was it like to do the breakup? I mean, once you, you hit a, because <laughs> I've been in this place, you hit this certain point and you're like, yeah, no, the, the doors closed. There's no other doors. There's no windows. There's no light coming. Like we're done. Yeah. I got together with a friend pretty much immediately when I got back, I got together with a friend and we were eating just, you know, dinner together and she was a mutual friend of me and my boyfriend at the time. And I just said to her, you know, if he's cheated and she dropped her head, like I'll never forget. She just like dropped her head, took a deep breath and said, there's been rumors and told me what the rumors were. And so I said, well, fuck it. I'm breaking up with him. So that night I went over to try to break up with him. And this is why I talk about how many times it takes to break up with an abuser. It's not a one-time shot. And so I, I tried to break up with him, but he told me and he gaslit me. So he told me that I was not thinking straight and this wasn't like me. And I needed to go home and really think about it. And that I really needed to be careful because something's not right with me. That like, this isn't normal. So I thought, well, fuck, what's wrong with me? Right. Once again. So I get home and because I had resources and tools and I had already started, you know, exploring a self-love and self-growth and all of that, I had actually called my therapist in the morning and it was her that said, I'm not saying that he's abusive person, but these are characteristics of an abuser. And she says, do you want to be with him? And I said, no. And she said, then there's your answer. And so she said, Carly, what you are saying to me is a very like clear, you're like thinking clear, your head's on your shoulders. I don't hear anything in your voice that sounds like something's wrong. And so I said, okay. So I went over there and I broke up with him. And then you said the breakup. So I broke up with him. It was intense on his part. I just needed to break up and get out. And then afterwards following, he would email me on a different email address. He would call me from a different number. He showed up one time at my apartment, um, like sitting outside the gate and had like a whole abundance of gifts trying to get back with me. I mean, and he, he reached out to all my dear and close friends. I mean, it's typical abuser breakup behavior. Right. And to your friends and stuff, he can even say, I really feel like there's something wrong, something off ever since this trip, ever, well, like whatever they say. So what I actually did is I set boundaries with my friends and I said, please do not let me know if he contacts you. Oh, great. Okay. And I have really fucking awesome friends. That's actually one thing that I'm like, I'm like, you know, it was these intimate relationships, but friendship wise, like I got some pretty fucking awesome girlfriends. And so they all agreed. And, but apparently they all had talked to each other about what was going on. And then later on, I found out that they had, he had contacted them like crazy. And basically my friends were like, fuck off me. But you know, this whole like thing was going on and I didn't know. Good. And they really allowed me to like, you know, have my space to heal and not bring me into his drama. That's epic. So how do you figure out, you mentioned you had a therapist. Mm-hmm. What else did you do to help you get through this? Mm-hmm. How did you really learn about self-love because you've created your own sort of niche with that. So that had to have been a work in progress, I'm thinking. Always is. So yeah. it's not a destination, it's a journey. Right. And that's the way it's always evolving. And you kind of just came up with this idea. How did it work in your life? 
Well, I really took, you know, what my therapy, like strategies and tools that my therapist had given me. And I really embraced the shit out of them. I mean, that's like, ultimately, I just really worked on myself and growth and journaling and, you know, really in being intuitive with my gut if something fell off. I mean, I made like a really serious effort to make these changes and to apply, you know, tools and all this kind of stuff to my life that would help me with dating and help me with myself and what I needed and what I wanted and, and also the support of my friends as well. And, and not saying to tell your friends everything and whatever's going on, because here's the thing is that your friends love you and they want what's best for you. They don't always know what's best for you. And they also have their own dysfunction that they, you know, have had in their lives. Right. So they're more of like a biased opinion, but that's why I also think though, having like a therapist, somebody who is not bias and that to help you through this type of progress and change. How difficult was it to date again after that? (laughs) Okay. I talk about that where I met somebody shortly after and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's so nice. He's so cute. But my gut was like, no, you need to, you need to be with yourself. And so I, I ended that. And I really just took time to focus with me, like on me until I felt like I was in a good, stable place. And then I could incorporate dating back into my life. So I would say it was really just spending some quality time with myself and allowing myself to really just sit with those feelings and grieve and, you know, explore this new part of my life, which is self-care and self-love, self-worth. And there's a grieving process too of letting some of that old stuff go that people don't really talk about. And I think that's really why it's hard. Self-love is not, it's not easy. It's difficult because you're really mourning this way of, you know, not loving yourself, which sounds crazy. You'd be like, well, wouldn't you want to love yourself? But in a way you disguise that as a protection. It's defense mechanisms that you've maybe acquired over life. And then being able to say, okay, like I'm ready to move on from that. That's no longer who I am. And being able to date again. When I first started dating, I was, I was nervous, you know, I was scared. I thought, oh shit, like, am I going to get it wrong? Am I going to fuck up? How am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to meet somebody who, you know, is normal? How, how do I trust myself? Because the, the way I look at it is codependence occurs when you as the codependent start playing into it. If you don't and somebody has a mental illness or somebody has addiction they're not taking care of and you're not playing the game of like making sure they're okay all the time, checking up on them, all these things of codependent tendencies, and you can say, you know what, this isn't working out for me, then you're not in a codependent relationship because you're not playing into that. So it was trusting myself to like not play into that and not teeter that line of trying to take care of somebody or thinking I know what's best when I felt like my whole life I was doing that. So it was a bit scary for me when I started dating again. Amen, sister. It's terrifying because you think, well, if I didn't recognize it before until it was so long into the process, will I will I be able to again, even though you've shifted so much? Mm-hmm. And that was my fear. And I was in a healthy relationship that got really hard and shitty. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out because I'm good at getting out. Like, right. And, and in that instance, it was actually a really good person in a really, for the most part, healthy relationship that had some qualities that had some issues we really needed to work through. And we've been together for years. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, no, you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it until you're exhausted. And then you cut and run. That's a process. (laughs) Yes. So when he was like, he looked at me and he said, you know, you're really good at this part from your pattern, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling you it's worth it. And I like people have issues that they need to work through. And I think this is totally, totally doable. And I really want to. And I was like, shut up. Like that's not say you're not going to disagree with this. Yeah. Well, someone who is narcissistic or in a somewhat abusive or dysfunctional relationship will convince you to stay for all the wrong reasons. This is true. Yes. So it's really hard in that moment to be like, Oh yeah, well I've heard that song and dance before right. you're like sure you're just gonna make a promise to me and they'll fuck up next week and then i'm stuck in right yep. except like, we didn't have the patterns prior to that yes. leading up you know what i mean so but it was terrifying for yeah. me to 
believe, oh, a normal relationship has normal stuff that comes up and normal people are committed and really want to work through it. And they do what they say and they say what they do yes. and it, it's going to be okay. That, that was probably more terrifying than just staying with an asshole. Right. Right. Because you actually have to work. You actually have to be vulnerable and open yourself up. Whereas it's not this black and white need to get out or stay in like kind of feeling this fire flight. You feel like you're being vulnerable with those people who just read your mind, right? It's so different. It's so different when you're, yes. Yes. And that's why I asked because like for me, it was nauseatingly difficult every day for a while, Mm -hmm. but and, you know, there, so there's not really like an answer. There's no magic wand to this, except it really is different. It really I is normal. For me, is like I had gone through a breakup and the relationship was not codependent. And I had gone through a breakup and it was also a, a really clear sign to me too, is that you can be in a relationship with somebody who's, that's not unhealthy and at the end of the day, it not work out. And that to me was like, shit. Like there was also that aspect of it. Like, oh shit, when I was going through that, because I thought, you know, okay, I'm no longer with these codependents. I, I'm, I'm gonna like, you know, the sense of like, okay, I'm gonna be okay. And like, I, you know, I go into this healthy relationship. It should just work out. And then, you know, it was one of these moments to me that I was like, oh, oh, okay. Now I get it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's just gonna work out. And so I, that's why I always say it's like an evolve, it's a, it's a process of evolving. And obviously I know that now, but at the time when I was going through that, I thought to myself like, okay, like, you know, it was like a security blanket in the sense of like, well, I'm out of it now. So it's good. And, and it's like, no, you're never just good. You're never just whatever. It's always a work in progress. And that's something I really, I really embrace and like practice what I preach with that. And now I'd like to tie that all in because clearly we know what you do and your whole sure the whole basis of you being an entrepreneur and having this coaching business comes directly. Sometimes it's not such a straight arrow shot, but with you, like clearly it is. Yeah. And I've asked you already what the most common issue is and you work with women. So how do women recognize the issue and know that they need you because you can make it faster, easier, better, more supported, the same journey you went through for someone else. Can you, can you, and let's end on the happiest note. And I want to hear like maybe some success. Yeah. So basically I always say that you have to be ready for coaching. You have to be ready for this growth and this change period. And the women that come to me are ready for it and they want to have this change. And the way that they recognize it is saying like, okay, something's off. Even if just something feels off a little bit, they're like, just doesn't feel right. I need to explore this. And the other thing as well is it can feel really scary. And I talk about this a lot where people hiring a dating relationship coach, it's different than a career coach. Everyone pretty much has a job. Everyone's, you know, like needs to figure out their path and all this stuff. But a dating relationship coach, you're like, shit, I'm going to get real vulnerable and I'm going to have to open up to this person. Do I trust them? Can they really help me? You know, all of these things go back and forth. But the thing is, is that with the clients that I have helped, it really isn't that long that we work together. And it's not forever and ever and ever. That's the other thing too, is that yes, it's a journey. And you know, I've had clients work with me and they're good to go and they move on and forward. And then they're like, Hey, can I have a couple more sessions as a re-up? Right? Like, that's why I say it's just a journey of growth. And it's not this process that seems maybe like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible. It's going to take forever to face this. It's a pretty quick, smooth sailing, you know, process. But ultimately I've seen success with clients, whether It's my client who literally ended this relationship that she had been with this guy for like seven plus years, but they weren't actually boyfriend and girlfriend. It just was carried out on and on and on to the point where she finally, us working together, was able to end it and create the boundary for herself because she wanted somebody serious and she didn't, and she owned her worth and who she was to literally my client who is married and had been fighting with her partner and literally the partner was like, I don't know if this is going to work out between us anymore. Like, I don't really know if I want to be married, but like, this is too much. She came to me, we worked together and really focused on herself and what her needs were, her self-worth, her self-care. 
and got that aligned that now by the time that we were done working together, she and her partner were planning on having a baby. Like they were planning the steps to have a baby. So that's why I just think to myself that it's like any stage you're at, it's always connecting with yourself. What do you need? What do you want? How do you bring that to the intimacy that you have with somebody else? And doing that, it seems like such a crazy process and like it's going to be so intense because you probably feel a lot of feelings of intenseness or anxious or anxiety, whatever's going on. But ultimately it's so freeing because the only thing that is on the other side of working through this fear of, you know, issues that you're having with your dating life or issues you're having with your breakups or relationships, marriages, the only way to have something that you want out of it is to go through it and work on it. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, it's insanity. And the only way to break that up is to get help, is to work on it and move forward. And the only way to get what you want out of it is to, you know, take that next indicated action and step. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with me and with everyone and being honest. I have the book. I own the book. I have the book. Yes. Also the books in the link, all your contact information is in the show notes and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was amazing. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.